dishing out what they call banter and repartee. TC and Jake have become in two short years the most listened to rock and roll morning show in the entire Southwest. Welcome, folks, to Interview Month. I know a lot of you didn't uh, don't 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 catch the Patreon ones, and it was the very last two seconds of that and we didn't give much to it uh, then. So I, I think that we are going to try and do another Interview Month. Um, why did we do it in August last year and February this year? I don't I don't know. It just it seemed like there was a number of people building up that we really wanted to interview, and we thought that there was no uh, better way to uh, get involved with it than talk to Mike Reiner. Because, you know, he's a big deal and people like him. How's it going, Mike? Oh, you're wrong on both counts there. I am not a big deal. People hate me. I think And I'm going, whatever you're doing here, I'm going to drag it into the dirt. See, I thought thought we were having him on because of this email I just got from Rich Rice that says, Rangers signed first baseman Greg Bird to minor league contract with invite to spring training. That's a player with a lot of potential. Okay. Big upside there, man. If he could unlock that power... I mean, I, I would say that he fits here, but I, I don't know how the ballpark's going to play. Have you gotten any, uh, any I indication have no on feel that? whatsoever. Yeah. I haven't talked to anybody that has any feel whatsoever of how the ballpark's going to play. Do you think you'll be a fixture out there now that you're at this stage Do of I your life? Do I think I will? Yeah. I don't know. Get yourself a little 25-game plan? I don't know. We'll see. I have a lot of options here. <laughs> a lot of options. That was my first thought. Whenever you, uh, whenever I was shocked by your uh, your video, was to and I've I've been too much of a pussy to do it until now on this podcast to reach out to you see if you wanted to split a ten game pack or something. I just I, I imagine it just be wonderful, you and me. Well, we can talk about it, sure. Hanging out there, you know. Yeah. Just becoming best friends. Sure. You can like we... baseball? I like baseball. Absolutely. The son you never had. Can we talk briefly about the video and the fact that I don't think anybody on the station has highlighted enough that you use the phrase that a man who committed a double homicide and is now famous for his own Twitter videos coined and said, as a great man once said, we'll deal with that. Yeah. I'm not sure that your shout-out to Orenthal James Simpson has been publicized as much as I was Actually, thinking. Actually, that was a shout-out to you. Okay, thank because you. Because I knew you were the only one that was going to pick up on that. I Nobody died. else has. I died laughing. The first time, I'm like, no way did he just say that. As a great man once said. Oh, anyway. it sets my soul on fire that you picked up on that, but I knew you would. Absolutely. In a, in a, a tearful, emotional, uh, poignant, uh, send off for yourself. That's the only part I remember now. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how the Goldman family would feel about that, Mike. Yeah, who cares? Well, the Goldman. We're not going to start now. Well, they're probably not P ones anyway. So, no, most likely not. Um, I, I mundane, dumb questions about that. Uh, how how did you get? I, I've they mentioned a couple times that it was some fancy D magazine photographer. Yes, the great Elizabeth Laven. How'd you? Uh, how, how do you know her? How did that come about? I have um, two points of experience with Elizabeth Laven. Number one, do you remember the photo shoot in D magazine of Absolutely. George and Craig and I in the bed together? Yeah. Sure, Bottle she did Jack. that. Oh, okay, nice. that was my first run in with her, and since then. She is now represented by my formal former spousal unit. Okay. That makes so sense. So it was not a real hard get for me. Actually, my original plan 
was to get you over there and just have you shoot it on an iPhone. <laughs> I, I would have loved that. I think she did a much better job. Drops the phone in the middle of it because his blood sugar is too low. <laughs> no, no edit, I'd, no I'd make sure we load it up before that. You know, that's part of being aware. Now, I. Uh, but I, I told Renee, my former spousal unit, what I was going to do. And she thought, oh, that'll be great. That'll be great. Who's going to shoot the video? And I said, well, I don't know. I'm just going to get somebody over there. We're going to shoot it on an iPhone. That'll be that. She went, no, no, no. We'll get Elizabeth to do it. And so she did. The moment was too big for that. I agree. Yeah, no, I, uh, your ex-wife is an incredibly nice person that every single time that I've met her, uh, you know, she's, she's been extremely gracious and I watched her house a couple times and have, uh, you know her and have, have hung out with you guys at petty theft shows. Mm -hmm. And, um, you you did once invite me to a, a Thanksgiving gathering that you and her were having. And so my, my thought as I was just kind of processing all of this retirement stuff is, you know. I consider both of you kind of parental figures for me, and like the the kid in a movie about divorce made in the '90s. I just wonder if this this is when <laughs> mom and dad get back together, <laughs> we could just finally be a family again. Well, that hasn't happened yet. I, I doubt if it's in the cards, but we'll see. Yeah. You never say never in this world. Yeah. Reg regarding that Thanksgiving, TC has carried that around for a long time. Oh, not really. Uh, he opted for his own family. We should just lay it all out there for him. What? Well, Do you remember this? Run it down. So I'm sure I will. My, my first year that I was at the station, I, I think it was. If, if not, it was the second. It was very early on. Um, it, was, it was coming up on Thanksgiving. And I think that I just cut such a forlorn figure that you kind of fig you just imagine me as like a street urchin, which, you know, fair enough. Um, and, and, you know, kind of approached me and were like, well, you know, if, if you don't have anywhere to go for the holidays, we, we would love to take you in. And I didn't really know the way to break it to you of like, my, my family all live here. They <laughs> I had some prior obligation. <laughs> because you don't, offer, you don't offer Thanksgiving to someone without at least an inkling that they are, in fact, without a Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, and I... I do, I do kind of think I'd had more fun that Thanksgiving if I'd just been like, yeah, fuck them. I'm, I'm going to yours. But uh, it would have been would tough have been, to explain. Yeah, I think I probably did what people would traditionally consider the right thing there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know how much you'd, uh, you, you'd thought about that in the intervening years. So we have so much to talk about, but I guess my first I want first to ask thought, about Dan's uh, New Year's party thing in a related Yeah, I suppose it's on query. the same wavelength. Yeah. Uh, did did you hear his segment? Uh, I don't, I don't want to run down the whole thing if you haven't. No. Okay. Uh, Dan was, had a New Year's party. No, you had a New Year's party oh. that you invited Dan to. Oh, oh, okay, okay. And, yeah. Uh, him being him, it was like you know, no, I'd rather smoke pot alone in my house during that time. Right. <laughs> you know, he wanted to, wanted to clear some space for it. Uh, so he didn't go, and then... So this is another example of me being altruistic? Yes. To and, and what being I shunned. perceive as, as, as unsheltered urchins. Right. But he... The but meek. He, uh, turned you down, and this was in the first couple years, and I, I remember... When I showed up in 2008 or whatever, that uh, it didn't seem like you liked them very much. And that certainly, from my perception, has changed a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, but but he always had kind of wondered if it was just, well, that guy fucking shunned me at the New Year's party, so fuck him. <laughs> no, I, you know, 
It took me a while to warm up to Dan. Yeah. But now, I mean, he's he's very close to my favorite guy up there. Yeah. Sometimes an acquired taste is yeah. the one yeah. you end up yeah, enjoying acquired, the most. Right. And he was kind of an acquired taste for me, but I enjoy everything about Dan. I enjoy his sense of humor, his personality, the even keel that he always seems to be on. Good dude. Yeah, he is what I would want to be, and since I know I can't, I just try to get a little closer to it. Sure, because I know I'm just not built for as as calm as he carries himself. Yeah, if you know that's what you're after, you can at least get five percent more Dan like in your life, and you'll be better off. If I keep that blood sugar between the lines, I think I can do it. Uh, I just want to know what day to day life is like. Like, uh, if I said, "How's that been like for you and all?" I guess it hasn't well, been long when? enough. Um, early on or now? I'd say more now. Because um, I'm sure early on it's whirlwind. You're doing stuff like this. Yeah. Yeah, there was quite a bit of stuff early on, but that's leveled off in the last couple of weeks. And now it's pretty much whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. <laughs> you plan the day before for what the next day is going to be nope. much? Or? I, I don't plan anything. I mean, Man. there are certain things I got to do. I look at my calendar. I see what's on there. Today, there was this. There was a nice pedicure, which I just got out of. Lovely. And that's it. That's Um, bliss. Tonight, we'll look at tomorrow and see what's on there. I think I got something tomorrow night, and that's it. But yeah, it's what I want when I want. If I want to go to the movie in the middle of the day, I do it. If I want to uh, go to the range, get something to eat, you know, <laughs> whatever I want, whenever I want. It's great. Do you have any inkling to expand your travel game? Yes. Okay. I would imagine that's going to come down in due time. There are a lot of places that I want to go to. For one thing, I want to go visit my sister and her family, which I have not done in years and years. I mean, I've seen them and everything, but... As far as being able to hang out over you know a few days with them or something like that, I've not been able to do that. She'd usually have a day during training camp, right? Yeah. Yeah, I would go down there during training camp and hang out with them at night. But as far as being able to you know, just really get a hold of their, their scene and their ultra-Jewish lifestyle, then you know, I, I need to be able to do that. And sure. that's part of it. Uh, maybe some ballparks. On tap for this summer. I uh, would like to go to Vancouver again. I haven't been there in several years. That's my favorite place on the planet that I've been to. Um, those are just a few. What are the chances that we make it to, uh, what is it, Murto Station? McMurto? Oh, McMurto Station? Yeah. <laughs> That's probably going to be a little bit of a reach. But if you're going to go to McMurto Station, this is the time to do it. Okay. <laughs> because it's summer down there now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What is this? Antarctica. Oh, okay. <laughs> so do you have any, would you take an international trip by yourself? I mean, obviously, but besides Canada? Yeah, yeah, I would. Because I, I, I really envision you just sliding into like the Bourdain role and I get a podcast or a web series where Mike is exploring the world. Could happen. Boy, <laughs> Could happen. Sign me up for Mike in Bangkok. <laughs> Just getting a feel. Could happen. The only thing I worry about over there is food units. Can be dicey. 
What uh, what do you think's the longest you would do on a trip? Like now that you got this, like you could just go to Vancouver for six fucking months if yeah, you wanted to. I could, I could. Does that interest you or? Um, I don't know. I probably would not want to stay away from here for that long. Yeah. Because underneath it all, I do tend to be a little bit of a homebody. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I like my place. I like my space. I like, um, you know, being in familiar climbs and everything like that. So it probably wouldn't be too long, but I could see a couple weeks. Yeah. My uh, my big dream has always been to just like wake up on a random fucking Wednesday, go to uh, DFW and just tell the lady behind the counter like, what looks good to you? <laughs> pick pick something out for me, and yeah, uh, maybe yeah, pick just something. Pick one of those airplanes out and get me on it. Just buy uh, buy the Wi-Fi and the flight, so you can find a restaurant to go to whenever you land. Maybe a hotel that'd mm-hmm. be good. Airbnb would make this much easier now. Yeah, probably. Sure if you wanted to stay in cool areas, that'd be doable. Yeah, and just uh, just just have a real spontaneous trip. And uh, I'm leery of Airbnb though. Now you can live that dream. Yeah, that's what interesting though, because I've always viewed you as somewhat of a OCD kindred spirit. Aside from leaving the station, which I think that's a whole other conversation, just knowing what your life would be like afterward with not a lot of structure, did that intimidate you at all? As someone who has been pretty structured for so long and that OCD component? Um, daunting? Yeah. Intimidating? No. I've not been intimidated by one thing about this. And believe me, I tried hard to talk myself out of it and couldn't, didn't. So, no, not intimidated. When would you say that that process, like I think I've heard you say that around August, September, maybe that's when the process of I kind of think I might want to do this sort of maybe up until December 10th, how much before December 10th do you think you had decided, I've tried to talk myself out of this, and there's, it's just not happening. This is El Finn. It was probably somewhere in between there that the, the, talk, the talk really got real between August or September. And I don't know, maybe around Thanksgiving, I guess. I think somewhere around Thanksgiving, I subconsciously hit the point of no return. Are you okay. talking to Jordan throughout this? Like whenever you first start thinking about it or how long do you wait? Because I get the sense that you guys talk often about your lives and, you know, I would certainly, I would view, I would hope one day that I could have the, a relationship with a daughter like what you guys have where you, you can bounce stuff off each other. Do you reach out to her and say, this is what I'm thinking or do you wait until it's done and say, this is what I think? I waited until I had pretty much made up my mind and then told her and Renee and just a very small handful of others in the inner circle that I thought they had a need to know. It was but received that was, how? Um, by those two. In a real, they were surprised because they didn't think I would ever walk away from it but when i told them and they saw i was serious about it it was like well that's great if that's what you think you should do you've earned it and if that's what you want to do and that's the way it comes down 
we're with you all the way. That's cool. Yeah. So do you, let's, let's talk, uh, well, let's talk the exit from the station, I suppose. Um, if I'd asked you five years ago, I guess I'm trying to get a gauge for how rapid you getting your head in this space was. If I'd asked you five, four, three, even two years ago and said, I'm, I'm an oracle here and I can tell you that January 2020, you're not only going to leave, you're going to be perfectly okay with it. How would you have responded to that? That's the stupidest thing I have ever heard of. That's kind of the sense I get. That is the biggest, the the, the biggest non-starter. First of all, just from a, a standpoint of things that might happen, but the whole idea of it is so far-fetched that that it's completely impossible. That is, I would have told you that is not going to happen. And then within eighteen months, yeah. uh, within you're not eight, only doing it, but you're good with it. Within eighteen months, the whole script flipped. That's awesome. I admire the conviction. I heard you talk about like the you know the last couple times you'd uh, had had extended time off that you'd stayed around to kind of simulate and get a get a feel for it. Yeah. What did you do then? Like what? what was, During those times? Yeah. What was your average day whenever you're you're trying this? Much out? like these days now. How much TV do you watch? Not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Not a lot. Do you have a list of books that you're moving through rapidly? Um, not yet, but I do have a, a pretty good list that I'm, I'm going to get through. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I... I, I would uh, recommend Dallas 1963 to everybody. Okay. What's that? Um, a book, What Was Going On Around Here During the Time of the Kennedy Assassination. Yeah. By Bill Minotaglio and another writer who's, unfortunately, his name escapes me right now, but... It's a really great book, and if you are not an Oswald acted alone guy, which I most certainly am not one of those, if you're a conspiracy theory guy, mm-hmm. and especially one who was around here and saw the political nuttiness that yeah. was going on here in our Fairburg, and just the crazy, crazy from every side of the spectrum crazy shit you saw in the streets of downtown where on one corner you'd have a guy screaming about Jesus. Another corner you'd have a guy screaming about the commies. And then across the street there'd be two more guys screaming about Kennedy or the devil or something. I mean, you saw that on the streets here. Yeah, they like uh, they, they mobbed LBJ, right? Like yeah. they were spitting at him and shit. Yeah. And Adlai Stevenson as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good book, though, if you're into that kind of thing. Random question. Do you have any memory of uh, the bombings of uh, black homes that occurred in Dallas in the 50s? Or were you too young then? Too young then. Yeah. I don't have any memory of that. Okay. But I know what you're, t- I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah Shoots wrote a book about that. It's great. That's Who what did? I thought it was. Jim Shoots. Oh, Jim Shoots. Indeed. Um, yes, I, I have a new Jim Shoots fetish. <laughs> I I saw on Twitter that you uh you read Jim Shoots yes, articles I re- now. I read Jim, <laughs> I read Jim Shoots's column. Couldn't uh, couldn't because pick a Eric one. Celeste tweeted one day that he liked reading Jim Shoots, but he hated the Observer website, uh-huh. and he wanted somebody to read it to him. And I tweeted back at him, "I'll do that." <laughs> so and so I did. And so when someone, you know, you're at the landing and someone says, "Well, what have you been up to these days?" and you say, "Well, I'm reading Jim Shoots columns now." 
Allowed. And, and then they say, oh, okay, well, I've been doing that. And you say, no, 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 I read them <laughs> yes. for people yes, who I don't want right. to read them on uh, the website. Do you know Eric Salaf? It's a niche service that I've, <laughs> that I've created here. Uh Okay, so you've been your so much of your life and so much of your identity. I mean, I think even TC and I feel this way was wrapped up in the station. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I even wonder about that with myself of like, man, am I in too much of a bubble here for my personality, my sense of humor, the things that I think matter, the all of it, it's just it's an all-encompassing place and then to the nth degree for you, did you think about that at all that I'm leaving so much of my identity is oh, wrapped yeah. up in this thing, and now I'm kind of going to yes, try to quote be my own. I did. Person. I, I that that was one of the really difficult conversations that I had to have with myself because not only is all that in play here, my whole identity of you know that, and my my whole personality and way of thinking that has been formed and shaped largely by that place, most people know me for this. And they always will. And I'm leaving that behind, too. Yeah. And it was it was dawning. Yeah, I mean, I, I doubt this is something you think about too much beforehand, but just as someone who, like, you know, people ask me, like, what do you do? And, like, it's a long answer, <laughs> you know? I guess with you, you can just say I'm retired. But, yeah. Uh, it's That's just, a way of ending the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's just a it's a hard social situation to navigate sometimes. I now I did get into one where I said that I said I'm retired, and they said, "Oh yeah, from what?" <laughs> and I said, oh, well, "I retired. I retired from the radio business." Yeah, and they said, "Oh really? What station?" <sighs> the ticket. <laughs> yeah, and they went. Oh, you're that guy. <laughs> <laughs> you, you look away in a real thousand mile stare and say, I was that guy. That's right. <laughs> yeah, just uh, in another life. <laughs> given the Uber rides all day, for the most part, you just don't like I, I am sensing you, you. You know the feeling of like, I just don't want to have a long conversation with this stranger. And so you're just trying to give an answer that is that is literally true, but will not prompt further questions. Right. And uh, sometimes it's just tough, man. <laughs> I've gotten very good at it over the years. I'm, I'm, I, I do my best, you know. I, I'm not bad at it, but it's uh, it's an exercise. Uh, I I had my uh, lost summer two years ago, where I was for the most part waking up, and I had one responsibility, but like you know, it would take about an hour and. That didn't really matter when I did it, and that was about it. And uh, just kind of had the rest of the time to fill in for myself. And I don't know, man. I I, I figured. So I I think that more than most people my age, I have an idea of what you're you're uh, you, you're, you're attempting to do. Uh, you know, in, in just like living life without a job, and it's uh it it is something else. Like I I would just I I don't know how much this occurs with you, but with me. I would look back on like, all right, so what'd you do for the last week? And uh, I'd be like, well, I uh, watched some TV shows, smoked some pot, and jerked off like 50 times. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> would not feel a great amount of uh, pride, you know, like looking back on it. But like in the moment, you know, you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Right, there was a time when TV. I would have been three for three. Now I'm probably like one for three. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I just like the, the, the challenge of finding activities outside of work 
that are something that you like find meaningful and will feel good about like of like you know what i used that day productively and i feel proud of what i did uh i I could not find a whole bunch of those days in that summer you know yeah and i'm gonna have to look around for that stuff yeah i don't know where it's going to be but i'm going to have to look around for it at some point it's not i'm not there yet you know yeah because this is Still a relatively new ball game for me. And you put in a lot of fucking work, you know? Give yourself a break. But at some point, I'm going to want to be productive in some kind of way. Yeah. And I don't know how that's going to be, but but as the great man once said, we'll deal with that. (laughs) (laughs) How, uh, How awkward is it for you to get hundreds and hundreds of pieces of communique from people telling you thank you or you meant this much to me or could have done this without you i mean you're not exactly i I just don't think of you as like the most sappy guy in the world so i'm sure it gets to you but also at some point is it just kind of like uh okay i get it where does that how does that stuff land with you whenever people just won't stop reaching out with gratitude i love it really i have loved it that's cool. I mean, I'm, I'm just really overwhelmed by it because I didn't think it was going to be that way. You know, I thought that might be something that would happen to others up there. I didn't think it would happen to me. I didn't think this was going to be that big of a deal. I've said this over and over again. I don't think people believe it, but I swear it's the truth. It's the way I thought of it. I will stay with this till the day I die. I thought this might be about two news cycles worth of shit and that'd be it it'd be just another old radio hack giving it up i believe that would be that that yeah that would be that that's the way i thought it would be i believe you and i believe that you think that and thought that and that's also crazy (laughs) like coming from where we're coming from well yeah i mean i i i see that now yeah you you just got such an ethos man like you're 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 an absolute original you got to know that like, that you've just been your fucking self every goddamn day of your life, or at least the time that I've known you. And that's something that always resonates with people. That's better than good, and a lot more than just good content. Yeah. That's like, uh, oh, shit. Maybe I could kind of try to lean into being what this guy's got going on a little bit. <laughs> this is inspiring. Well, again, I'm just me, you know? That's, that's all I can be. But how many people do you see walking around that you can tell that they're not being them? A fucking ton of them. Most. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, most. Yeah. So guy like you, you know, that like and it's you're you and and you're not like it, it's it's not like the version of you that you are is like uh, you know, super typical. <laughs> like like you've leaned into being, you know, oh, like, yeah. a fucking weird individual. Oh yeah, I, I know. I and mean that's I, the coolest I, I've, thing. I have always been weird and I embrace the weirdness, man. You always know, have, always will. It's a cool experience too because in this industry, one, you don't often get to say goodbye uh, on your own terms, either because you got fired or you died. And in a macabre way, it's almost like you got to experience what people experience when they die. <laughs> and the response and reaction from people that people always say, oh, tell somebody this before they pass. You kind of got to die yeah, and I hang around for, die. Yeah. for a little while. <laughs> I did. That, that, that has dawned on me, too. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But this is almost like... Dying, but being around for it, you know? <laughs> Depending on when and the circumstances, I think that the actual dying will be a much smaller news cycle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that might be the 48-hour news cycle, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a bunch of station history questions. Will you indulge those? Certainly. So, I mean, it's your podcast here. Anything you want. Will uh, whenever whenever they always tell the story uh, in the origin, you know, of of you guys had planned to uh, launch in like what was it, November, something like that, October, yeah, yeah. and uh, did so at the end of January. I've just always wondered, like uh, those delays. Whenever, first of all, I think that you were just kind of. I could be wrong about this, but like giving them a little bit of details, like George and Craig and Hammer and all that, mm-hmm. uh, but probably trying to tell them like as little as possible so that they don't get too freaked out. Yeah, that was exactly what I was trying to do. And so what 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 actually was going on? What was the stuff that you weren't telling them then? The stuff I wasn't telling them then had to do with with the far weaker financial stilts we were on than I'd been led to believe. Mm-hmm. The fact that we were having all kinds of trouble getting investors the fact that we that those we did get were also wanting some sort of say or control because as you know this is a business anybody can do right yeah. you guys are just in there talking just anybody ask can do it right <laughs> and all you got to do is just put what you like up there on the radio and you'll be fine anybody can do that so they all wanted to say and there was just a lot of back and forth going on and I really had to pick and choose what I told those guys yeah. because I didn't know what kind of stomach for the fight of this they would have. And, and I guessed correctly, I think, that that stomach for the fight would be extremely limited. Yeah. And if they knew what was going on, they'd have walked away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, if they'd have walked away from it, then I was fucked. Yeah. Did you uh was that was there anyone else on the uh, like George Craig, uh, Greg list? Like you know, Who, where else would I've gone? Yeah, I had no idea. Okay, I, I didn't. Had, I didn't know if there's like one. I had no earthly idea. Yeah. I, I there was no plan B. Okay, I didn't know if there was a cool guy that also hung out in the auxiliary press box. That no, boy, he was that close, but no, you know. No. The only other cool guys who hung out in the auxiliary press box. And I didn't think he was cool at all. He didn't act cool back then, but I think he's cool now, was Dave Lane. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> he was doing something at WBAP. He, he's had a Dan-like arc with you. Yeah. Yeah, he has. <laughs> yeah, he, he's had a Dan-like arc. <laughs> and I, I, I think that your uh, current position on both is, uh, is correct. I, I love Dave and Dan. Yeah. Um, As do I. Do you, uh, so as far as not like retiring, but like leaving the station, uh, I know one time we had a conversation, I I think that it wasn't like terribly serious, but like someone from Chicago, like kind of had a conversation with you once, right? About like, would you and Greg like to do our nighttime show or something? Yeah, we had a few. Okay. Yeah. I I, I would just love to hear more about those. Like if you remember like when and what your reaction was and. Um, most of the time it didn't get very far. Yeah. Probably the biggest run that was made at us was the couple times that our across the street competitors came at us. And how serious did those ever get? Those got pretty serious. Yeah. 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 No, I mean, I 
remember the one that I was in the very periphery of, and that was that was a crazy like just. There was a time. Can I can I say all this? Sure. If I can't, then uh, we'll we'll cut it out. There's a, there's a time when you came up to me like as an intern, and we're like, uh, I need all the drops. <laughs> like you just wanted to have <laughs> yeah. a physical copy that you could take with you. Yes, that's right. Of every drop, and at the time, I was just like, I didn't even ask myself like, why does he want this? But like it, I put it together like a month later of like, this is why I'm recording all of these drops. <laughs> And uh, it was just like, holy shit, he might go. Yeah. And, you know, it didn't end up that way, and I'm, I'm happy about that. But that, Yeah, it got pretty close, but just as was the case for everybody, in the end game, I just couldn't do it. Yeah. I just could not bring myself to do it. Yeah, just too close to personal relationships, I would assume. Yeah, and, I mean, that place just has too much of me in it. Yeah, you yeah. Know, it, go, it goes back to what we were just talking about. Yeah, the, your identity, and I mean, I've trust me, I've second guessed myself a million times, and it's like, should I have broken out of this earlier? Should I have just done it? And then you just think, man, maybe. But if I do that, I'd kind of rather just do something else altogether. This is how I want to do this. How we do it here. How they do it here. I'm not really as interested in doing it another way. And I guess I'm just admitting my own limitations but i don't i don't know it just doesn't sound that fun the way they do it on a lot of those other stations and well maybe you need to go somewhere else and set the tone yeah lay down the law yeah i remember you telling me once um look screw <laughs> let me show you how you, you know do who the fuck shit. i am uh if we're talking station history stuff how long into your on-air relationship with grego would you say that you thought to yourself this probably has an expiration date. Like it wasn't, it didn't, I think it probably, it had to have started before there were missing work things. And I just mean, just did you ever think to yourself early on, I know I like doing a show with this guy, but somewhere in the recesses of my mind, I know this guy is not bankable for, for forever with me or, or did that never really come up? No, that never came up for me. I was pretty all in until... He started missing so much work until he started acting squirrely, till I caught him in a few lies and things like that. And even then, I was willing to overlook it, you know? I mean, I loved what he brought on the air. Sure. And I loved, you know, working with him for the longest period of time. But it all got to be too much. Yeah, I mean, I've never met the guy, but the the lying stuff, I you know, I've certainly had people in my life that had a... a toxic relationship with the truth and i just always have such a really hard time just because i i'm not like bragging about my level of honesty but like that's one of my most ocd things you know like that that just that's a type of disorder you know like it's a type of messiness that like i i just i just don't handle well so like i'm i'm you know straightforward about everything as much as i possibly can be and i don't know it's it's that kind of stuff like you know, they, they always tell the story of, like, what? That he said that he, like, uh, played for the Expos or something like that? Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was early on. <laughs> I mean, I should have read a lot more into that than I did because he told me he had one major league at bat and he homered off Steve Carlton. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if you're going to lie, He went really big. Now, I didn't believe that. <laughs> yeah. But I just thought, okay. But, but someone like that, I just, I just don't know. Like, I, I can't. I don't know how they're thinking, so like I can't work with that, you know. Like, so I, 
I don't know. I, I just, I almost think like to me, that would be a, a little bit of a bigger deal than the drug stuff. I, I don't know how you interacted with it. No, I did not interact with it well, but for a long time, I was willing to overlook and, and the uh, overlook it. And the other thing you have to remember is that that time, Grego was the dominant personality on the radio station. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, he was the first one that people really latched onto. They were really slow to come around to me. I mean, I was definitely sucking hind tit, if you will, I, on the uh, show. I started listening whenever I was like a sophomore in college, like 2007. And, you know, at that point, it was, it was months away from him being gone. So whenever I started listening to those uh, tapes of like the shows from like, you know, the 90s and 2000s and stuff that I've accumulated, I, I was I was blown away. Like, because... I didn't like him in 2007 and, and generally, you know, like, uh, the, the, the wise County background is, is not one that I share. And like, you know, there's, there's not a lot of radio personalities, uh, who play that up that I'd, I'd be a big fan of, but mm -hmm. man, that old stuff, he is fucking great. Yes. He was he great. He had a major fastball. Oh God. <laughs> I mean, when he was at his best, there was nobody like him. And when I say he was the dominant personality on the radio station, I mean everybody. Right. He was I mean, a celebrity big time. Yeah, he yeah. I mean he was the first breakout guy we had. That's crazy. Um and I just I don't know. Like uh, in his Richie Witt thing, he uh the the article that Richie wrote, wrote uh a couple months after Greg left, I I think in that Greg was pretty fixated on like uh is Corby becoming a bigger than me kind of thing? Like just very focused on power dynamics. Like yeah. that, that seemed to be, I, how, how much did that, like just the, the complaining about power dynamics and, you know, like, I don't know. just, I, I, I was not around at the time. I've, I've never met Grego in my life. Um, but just hearing stories, it, it sounded like there was a lot of tension. And I always just kind of assume it came from that as much as anything. When we started to have a third guy on the state, on the station that started to emerge a little bit and brought something, that bothered him. That threatened him. Yeah. And he always used to talk to me a lot about how I was involving Corby more than I was him, which I don't think was true. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. A lot of the time I would try to involve him and he would defer. Yeah. Just paranoia. Yeah. So I think that that, that was a real problem for him. I mean, when we started to developed the strong third he didn't know how to deal with that i mean that's something that goes to like a personal identity like what's my worth kind of thing you know like if you if you conceive of yourself as someone like you know well i'm not a fucking drain on this earth because i do at least i do a good job at this radio show and now it's like well i'm kind of the third most important person on the radio show that i stake my entire life value to that's probably pretty fucking difficult to deal with. It's a messy business we've entered in here, uh, into here for your personal self-evaluation. <laughs> it's, it's not natural. It's not natural to be talking to two other people or three other people that often and have it available for public consumption and people to be able to tell you what they think about it. That's not, I don't think we were wired to do this. I don't think we were, you know, most people only talk to their family that often and maybe not even then and it's in private it's not commercialized you know there's not a number put on it a yeah. rating 
That's a very... It doesn't have a foundation repair sponsor or anything. <laughs> right. And I'm not sitting here complaining, get the world's tiniest violin, but I do, I do think it can fuck with your head for sure. And if you're somebody who is in maybe a slightly vulnerable spot personally like he was, and then maybe more than slightly as the road was traveled down, I, you know. Yeah. And it, it's tough. <laughs> I probably did a very poor job of evaluating that situation and I probably underestimated it quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I'm going to wait a little bit to talk to you about uh, Epstein and about Orchids of Asia. <laughs> but one thing I've always been interested in is uh, the sale. So I suppose the first time you were, is that's when, so talk, walk me through this. From the original owners, Susquehanna Fallscraft is next? No. Okay. SFX was next. And is that what you would call you selling? Um, like, like, did you have shares after that? Um, yeah, I what? got I got bought out in the first sale. Okay, okay. And at that point, you had no more programming duties, right? You were just doing the show. Yeah. So that's okay. When that happens, SFX buys, and now you're just I'm yeah. A, I'm an on air. I'm just a guy. Okay. Is that a? I'm, I would imagine you never in your wildest dreams, whenever you didn't have a backup plan, past George and Craig and we're obfuscating the financial truths that what's it going to be like if I have to, if I'm interfacing with cashing out and, and selling my shares of this thing that you probably didn't have much of a plan for what that situation is like, because that's a pie in the sky scenario. Just sort of talk me through how that all goes down. A company comes to you and the other money guys and says, we'd like to buy this thing. Are you involved in negotiating it all? No, or does no, that just go to the, not. the guys who had more, yeah, that, skin in the game. That was a Spence thing. Okay. By then, I think, I think by then Jeffrey Dunbar was out of the picture. There was a pretty toxic scene between him and Spence. And Spence had had it with the thing he was looking to get out. But we'd been on the air for a year. We didn't have any really big numbers or anything going on yet at that time. But we were getting traction out there in the market. I mean, people were talking about us. We were getting written up a lot, or as much as radio stations could, in the paper by, back then. And we were, we were starting to, we were showing signs of turning into something. I, I don't think we had yet, but we were on our way. It was looking good. And Spence was ready to get out and SFX was the first one in to buy. And I don't know if they if he talked to anybody else about it. I don't know what too much about how how that all went down, but we wound up going to SFX. SFX owned KRLD at the time. And this was the time whenever you could only own a limited number of stations in the yes. market, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think Two? I think deregu deregulation was on the books, but it hadn't really kicked in. And for those who don't know, deregulation was, there was a time when you could only own one AM and one FM radio station in a market. Deregulation did away with that. A better time. A, be a much better time. Yeah, Dere deregulation did away with that, and it allowed anybody to own as much of either one. It was full throttle, wide open, anything goes. As much as you can afford, you can own. 
But that hadn't really kicked in yet. And I think SFX might have had a FM station or two involved in this, but KRLD was the main one. And we became their sister for a while. And everybody was just freaking out. Internally? Yeah. Because they knew that now that there were new owners and now that I was not going to have the kind of clout that I once had, it was going to be church for all of us. And it might have been, but SFX didn't really come over here wanting to make changes. They liked what we were doing. The guy, the, the head of it was Jerry Bobo, who ran KRLD, and for many years before that had run, had been the, uh, the sales manager, maybe general manager of KVIL in its halcyon days. And he was running KRLD, and he became general manager of the ticket, which was great. He, he's a great guy, still a good friend to this day. And he brought in this guy from Atlanta who was like his, like under him, not program director, but kind of um, hands-on general manager. And this guy's big idea was to build the station. This guy was from Atlanta and sounded like it. And his big idea was to build the station around NASCAR, which yeah. was going through its halcyon period back then. I and mean, if we could capture that audience, fuck. Yeah. He wanted to build a station around NASCAR and Grego. <laughs> that makes some sense. And then thus we get NASCAR Grego. I have yeah. no evidence whatsoever that that guy knew my name or George's and Junior's name. The only name he knew, the only name he thought he had to know was Grego. That's wild. So that was a pretty chaotic time. Add to it the fact that SFX was owned by this guy named Robert S.F. SF or FX Silverman, Robert FX Silverman. Does that name mean anything to you? I don't think so. Well, he died not too long ago, but he was this major, major um, progenitor of Trump and those of, and Epstein and those of that ilk financial player. Okay. And he conducted himself in a fairly similar way too where they would just go around, go around buying shit left and right, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Buying, throwing down 50 or $60 million on something and then unloading it three weeks later. It's the way they rolled. And so that's the kind of dynamic that we were in at the time. Is this, am I giving you what you want here? Yeah, exactly, yeah. because I think I've always, I've you know, there's been this idea of like, oh, I, I oh, Mike sold. And I never knew to who, at what point, how long you were involved in programming after that, how much say you had and who it was sold to, what they were like. So SFX buys it. They have this, uh, you know, real people's people owner, mm -hmm. and they flip to Susquehanna relatively quickly. Within about a, a year. About, a, about year. a year. Did, uh, the did one, There's one thing that good to come out of this SFX reign, and that was the advent of the Wild Irish Laddie. That's where he came from? Yeah. They he was their program yeah, director. He they knew him. The guy from Atlanta okay. had him down in Atlanta. They knew each other and he brought him in here. And without him, there's a chance there's no us today. 
In, because, in what way? What, what was his impact? He was our. He was a huge advocate. He came in here and just loved what we did. He thought we were great. And he would go to the mat for us at every turn. He would fight for you against NASCAR. Yes, he would. He would. He would fight for us against anybody. Did uh did George and Craig have a stake? Smaller one. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, part of the whole signing on thing. Yeah. Um They got a nice a little kiss. Uh Gordon was an intern. Did did you give him one? No. <laughs> what uh what were your early interactions with Gordon? Oh man. I always want to know the story of uh, the other guy he came in with. There was another guy, right? Oh, yeah. There was another guy. Well, there was another guy. What happened? What was, what was that? Here's my first interaction with Gordon. The other guy was a guy named Lawrence Hertzfeld. Okay. He was uh, considerably younger than me. Mm-hmm. I knew him because when I was at the zoo, he was like an intern at Channel 8. And I would see him, you know, in the hall. I was walking out, you know, in the daytime and stuff. And we kind of got to know each other a little bit. And I developed an affinity for him. He was funny. He was kind of an interesting kid. He amused me a little bit. And anyway, I lost touch with him in the time, you know, between getting blown out of the zoo and the advent of the ticket. During sports phone. Yeah, during sports phone. (laughs) We've kind of... Lost touch with each other. But the ticket comes along, and up he pops again. And he said, I've got these two guys that I want to do a show with. And I said, well, what kind of show you want to do? He said, well, we want to do a funny sports show. And I said, man, I don't know. I don't know if we can do a funny sports show around here just yet, because we were, like, real new at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. And we were, uh, we couldn't. I didn't feel like I could go too terribly far overboard with that shit. No time to work without a net. Right, no time to work without a net. The weather's not changing yet. <laughs> but anyway, because I knew him, I figured I would, you know, have a meeting with him. So, and this is before the station even went on the air. Um, he and his two other guys came up. One guy was Scott Fransky. Does that name mean anything to anybody? Nope. I'm not familiar. Sorry. No disrespect. Scott I'm letting you down. Yeah. Well, he's a real sportsy guy. And he would later do stuff on Rangers Radio. Okay. And he is now the play-by-play voice of the Philadelphia Phillies. Wow. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. He, Made good. Yeah, he took that and ran with it. So he was one. The other guy was Gordon. And we're sitting here. I'm on one side of a table. The three of them are another, uh, are on the on the other. Lawrence is sitting right across from me. Scott Fransky's next to him. Way down on the other end is Gordon, who has got just the geekiest haircut that I've ever seen in my life. And Lawrence Hertzfeld's doing all the talking. Occasionally, Scott Fransky will chime in, and they're telling me what they want to do and everything. Gordon is sitting there. Not saying a word. Just, I mean, not even nodding his head in agreement. He's just sitting there. And I'm listening to Lawrence, but finally I started looking down at him going, man, what is this guy's trip? (laughs) And finally, 
I said something along those lines, like, okay, how do you fit into all this? Or, or you know, what's your scene here? Or, some, you know, something like that. And he just kind of mumbled something, and that was really pretty much it. Lawrence took the reins and, and ran with him after that. But that's all I got out of him then. And that was my first interaction with Gordon. It's, I won't say it's the weirdest one I've ever had because I've had a couple that were weirder, but <laughs> yeah. but it's it's definitely top five, if not top three. How do you have any idea how they all knew each other? Um, I think Lawrence fancied himself a aspiring stand-up comic. Okay, and I don't know if Scott Fransky did or exactly how he got worked into this mix mm-hmm. because you know there wasn't too terribly much funny about that guy you know Mm -hmm. great baseball announcer but funny i don't know maybe maybe not i can't say yeah and we know gordon certainly fancies himself that way i think gordon's funny i think gordon's funny too (laughs) i think gordon is just just incredible and the station is damn lucky i mean thank your lucky stars lucky to have him so did you did you green light the Fransky and Keith show? No, no, I, I didn't. I, I did not. How? Because uh, then, how does Gordon end up with Skip? Right? Yeah. He he somehow started. Lawrence somehow got on doing something up there, and Gordon started showing up too, and he started hanging around and just ingratiating himself with everybody. Came out of his shell a little bit. Everybody's kind of amused by him, and. Off he went from there. He got on with Skip and and just kind of worked the system. I'm sure that you were, but was everyone else like going to work before the station launched? Like you just hang out wherever the studio was going to be? No, you couldn't hang out where the studio was going to be because the studio was used by the radio station that it previously was. Sure, up until... Was, was there somewhere else that like... George yeah. and Craig would show up from 9 to 5 and you'd talk about ideas? No, no. If you're going to do that, you had to do it somewhere else. And we did. Yeah. We did. We would do it at various other ports of call. Yeah. Man, I would kill to hear what those Gordon segments on Skip's morning show sounded like. <laughs> they probably suck, honestly. Because I've heard him reference right? it a couple times in the last few weeks and then in the last year and a half, 25 and everything, of I was doing comedy for Skip's morning show. And I just, I can't imagine Skip ever laughing at anything. No. Much less an intern no. that he didn't know. No, Skip did not want that. So, boy. There is no way Skip wanted that. That would be a real confidence booster for anybody getting into the business to go back and listen to that and how poorly it was probably received. But he is a comedian himself, Skip. You know, the way he'd write his columns. Oh. Fucking packed with jokes. Yeah. So he, he gets funny, dude. Um... So, so with the the Gordon thing, like you just said no to the to the the, the show with those three guys, and he was the one that showed yeah, the most. I, like I'm not going away. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. He just didn't go away. He was truly the thing that wouldn't leave. <laughs> um, man, I I just I. It's so fucking awesome that it was just like this thing of you being like, uh, well, I've got these friends, and uh, I think they'd be good. Who are they? You never heard of them, but don't worry <laughs> about it. They're good. 
Like, what are your backup ideas? Uh, really, yeah, you know, we'll, really we'll cross that bridge. We'll yeah, deal with yeah, that. We'll deal with that. <laughs> I mean, I guess whenever you read about like uh, the first SNL cast, like it, it does kind of seem to be like Lorne Michael being like, "Well, I've uh, I've met some people." And that's about all he's got to say. Yeah, that's kind of the way it was. I mean, I met some people. <laughs> <laughs> but as far as like history goes, like there's not a long list of times that like financial backers would look on something like this and be like, yeah, we'll let you do that. <laughs> yeah. And believe me, I had to do some dancing. Yeah. I had to do some dancing. Especially once other investors started to get involved because this was a thing that everybody thought that they could do. And I know that Spence and Jeffrey would go home at night. They probably caught hell from their wives over what their friends had told them about things that were going on the station. Yeah. And their friends had told them, man, this is never going to work. This is terrible. Yeah. Man, he needs to get out of that. And it was probably a very hairy time for them, but on our end, it was put your head down, keep your eyes on the, between the shoulder blades of the guy in front of you, look to neither the left nor the right, and push on. I'm sure there was a ton of work to be done, so he fell into some responsibilities and, and everything like that, but the Dunbar piece of it has always been uh, a little bit confusing to me of like, well, I see why you're there. You've you've got an idea and this roster of people and everything, mm -hmm. and you understand why Spence is there because mm -hmm. he has money. Uh, but like Jeffrey, where just did he fit in? New Spence? Like he, he no, no, they didn't. They didn't know each other. They didn't know the only <coughs> ones that knew each other were Jeffrey and me. But his dad spent a pretty lengthy career in the game. Okay. Um, I'm not sure where. So he kind of had sure. an idea of how to navigate, like yeah. purchasing a signal and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, he did. He did. He was pretty instrumental in all of that and everything. Who the fuck knows how to do that? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have the first idea. Yeah, neither did I. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't believe we got the signal we got. I mean, to me, that one was off the table because it was owned by by um, Susquehanna. Mm -hmm. at the time, which also owned KZPS. Mm -hmm. And it was KAAM, which they were the AM sister to KZPS. They were owned by Susquehanna, which was owned by the Mormon Church. And the whole idea, this is probably an old wives' tale, although I've heard that this does have some foundation in truth to a certain ex to one extent or another. But it was owned by the Mormon Church, and what they wanted to do, the way they built their company, Bonneville Broadcasting, mm -hmm. was to have an AM or an FM in every big market in the nation. And that's all you could have at that time due to the aforementioned regulation. Mm -hmm. It was one FM, one AM. They were going to have one in every major outpost in the nation so that they could broadcast live the second coming. <laughs> I've heard that. <laughs> I have Co not cover all the bases. Yeah, now I don't know if they, I don't know if they really believe that. I don't know if it's true, but it was a it it was a widespread enough old wives tale to where it probably had 
some sort of um, origin and some sort of backing to it. I mean, you it's a very practical tr- goal. You don't think they trust you guys to navigate those waters? No, I don't think they. <laughs> I, I doubt that they, that they thought we would much take it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> fake Beelzebub is joining us now. And he's in a battle. And Please tell me you guys did at least make a sounder. Of breaking, the, of the breaking second, second coming news <laughs> now. Yeah. First. No, I don't, I don't think that exists. Guaranteed. Do you, uh, do you, <laughs> once, they, once they sold the station to us, that took us out of the second coming game. <laughs> <laughs> no second coming, no NASCAR. Yeah. Do you know the, uh, the, the Osama bin Laden sounder bit? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah Jake. Jake was the one that found that whenever we were, you know, young interns, and uh, I, w- I was I was manning the board whenever Barry came on to let us know he'd got him, and I knew where it was, and that let, thing got played. To let those Sunday night... Proudest moment of my fucking no, life, actually using the breaking Osama Bin Laden news now. Man, that's a... That's a huge, huge point. Uh... This is my last like big picture thing, uh, and I don't know if you're the type of person who stops and asks yourself these questions often or not. But if I asked you now, uh, "Are you happy?" I would wonder how you would answer that, and I would also wonder if there was a point where you stopped and removed your uh, your your tunnel vision from the man in front of you shoulder blades and looked up five six years into this and had the you know what. I did this, and I'm I'm happy. This makes me happy to know that I had this sort of impact. Or are you just eyes down so much that it's just now. Uh, that's another, only happened recently. Another day, really. Yeah, yeah, that's only happened recently. And you would say now, you would say yes, I am. Yeah. Oh yeah, I would. Because people like us, like we, I look at you, and I'm like, fuck. If that guy's not feeling accomplished, then what fucking hope do I have? You know. So I, I hope that you feel good. It's not accomplished and happy is not always the same thing, though. You know, but um, it always feels like it is to me. Like you know, I I, I feel tr- like that's a dirty I'm not, trick. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm both. That's awesome. I have a question about uh, the nine eleven shit because that was. Would would you identify that as a, a major moment in the station's history? You'd have to. Yeah. I mean, the P one certainly did. Yeah. It was the number one ticket moment of all time. Okay. I didn't realize. Yeah, yeah they got voted on. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so I feel very bad that I, I've had like a, in the back of my head for like five or six years. I've, I've got a, a lot of the audio from that time, and I've always very much wanted to like make a little audio documentary, and I haven't gotten around to it. Um, and maybe I will one day, but uh, I've, uh, I've I've listened to it, and um, I don't know, man. I there's a lot of surprises. Uh, I would identify as perhaps the biggest. That if I was gonna guess, if I was gonna guess beforehand, based on the guys I know, <laughs> I mean no slight on either end of this. I would say I would expect the biggest reactionary to be Grego or George. And I would have you as, like, pretty on the chill side, uh, just because, you know, the Mike I know is a pretty chill guy. And uh, I believe the tapes reveal that as far as people who, like, in the media aftermath were like, let's go and fucking get them. <laughs> like, that was that was definitely your stance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah. I was like, pretty gung-ho. Yeah. 
like you know let's let's fucking light them up yeah and uh i i, I don't know if, if that's like uh uh, evolved or I, I don't know i don't really care like you know i'm not here to like uh disagree with you, you mean, on or, it or, or are you asking if i would assume that position now in a similar scene i guess here's what i'm asking uh, i what i'm asking is the guy i know now is so different from that what has that personal evolution been like <laughs> um I don't know. That probably could be better answered by somebody on the outside rather than me, somebody looking at it. Fair enough. I mean, I don't know if there really has been one, but I do remember being pretty gung-ho about all that back then. Yeah. And if somebody would have taken a more aggressive posture, you know, in the government and maybe decided to push the button down or something like that, I'd have been on board. Yeah. <laughs> I was all ready to kill the bastards. Yeah. And I think you said Gordon, too, was pretty hawkish. Yeah, yeah. The <clears throat> debate on the morning show is George being like, so so what? We fire back at them, then they get pissed off, they fire back at us, and we're just at war for the rest of our fucking lives? That's what you guys want? Which, you know, I, I would say is, is, is my feeling about <laughs> most of the time. Uh, but I, you know, especially given that, like, uh, that came up because didn't George have some kind of, we'll fight him over there, fight him over here, got to fight him either way? Yeah, it was something recent. Yeah. It was something I, recent. It was, I think it was because they were giving him heat for hanging out with George W. Bush after Ellen did. That's right. Yeah. That's what it was. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, having your opinions on something like that, I doubt you were really in the weeds on geopolitical dynamics at the time. And having that play out. But he did talk about it every day yeah. for a week. And having that all play out in yeah. real time, it's just bonkers to me. That you guys sat there and talked about, you looked at the sort of the, the, the chess board of <laughs> international conflict and we're giving opinions on it. Yeah. And like, we had no earthly idea <laughs> what we were talking about. <laughs> All we were doing was reacting to news stories. Sure, that's it, and yeah. that's all anybody on, on was a very doing. on a on the most base level you can possibly imagine. Visceral, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of like uh, localizing and addressing like the concerns of people around. Like it wasn't that much of like here's what the regime in Afghanistan looks like. It was more of like uh, Colin Rusty and talking about oh, Rangers are stranded in San Francisco. They took the fucking bus back. I still can't believe that story. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I think uh, did did Corby drive to somewhere? Yeah, yeah, it's because his wife. Yeah, right? she it, was it, in Chicago yeah, on a plane. Yeah, she was. Yeah, and he had to go get her or, or meet her in Oklahoma City or something he, like that. He mentions that of like that my wife was supposed to fly today, and then the next two days he's just not on the air. So I was like, I figure that's what he did. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know, man. It's wild. It was I, a wild time. The morning after the DP, the downtown uh, police shootings, Sean and I were on, and I didn't really go to bed the night before because, if you remember, we didn't know what, no one knew what was going on. Like, did yeah. they get the guy? Is there another guy? We've got bomb robot. And I remember going in that morning. I mean, there was a gap of several hours between the shooting and anyone identifying who the guy yeah. is. Yeah. That was the most terrified I've ever been to go to work. Yeah. And I can imagine 9-11 would be that. Well, maybe if you're already established, you're not as worried about it. But it's weird. I mean, that's seven years into the station, which is a lot. 
for any radio station, but it's also getting closer now to a quarter of the time it's been on the air. It's like it seems like oh they've been on the air forever. It was two thousand one. Not really. Yeah. Like you guys were successful, but still, I I don't know. I don't know that I'd handle that situation real well. Is what I'm saying. Well, you know, I don't know if we handled it real well either, but we were just winging it, and it's really just in the end game, just another example of the magic of the ticket. There's just something about this thing that has that draws people in. Being real. It's, al- it's always been there. And I hope it always will be. Is Kurt and yeah, Schilling- it's being real. Is Kurt Schilling a Hall of Famer for you? Uh, borderline. It wouldn't kill me if they put him in. But I, I don't know if I could if I would strongly advocate for it. Yeah. Is he for you? You know, I mean, if anyone was going to like have their personal stuff kind of like uh, derail them for me, I, th- I think it'd be him. He seems to be a real piece of shit. But uh, I got to say, I mean, fucking linchpin of two World Series champions? Yeah, I think he's got to be. Yeah, he's a, he was a horse for sure. And it's not like he sucked outside of that. I no. mean, he, he, di- he didn't pitch at the 2004 World Series level his entire career. If he did, then no question he's in. But he, he wasn't fucking awful. Like, he... He was an ace most of the time. Yeah, you know? he had a stretch where he was lower down on the ace rankings, but an ace. Yeah, he was. He had, but he had a stretch where he was at the very worst, a top five pitcher in the game, a top five starter in the game for what six, seven years, something and, like that. And I, I think that if you have one postseason like he did twice, then yeah, you're in the conversation in my yeah, book. You, you got strong credentials. Yeah, like I said, like I say, I'm pretty borderline on him. Yeah. So Orchids of Asia is in a parking lot where Genghis would be far and away the nicest restaurant in the shopping center. (laughs) There's a Taco Bell. There's a grocery store. There's a a Thai restaurant, probably pretty good, but it was a hole in the wall. Would Mm -hmm. you have anticipated that rich people get hand jobs from nicer places than that? That's the most shocking thing to me about it is I tried to explain it the other day is it would be like Jerry having Roosevelt or whoever drive him up to a place that is in a shopping center adjacent to a food lion in Duncanville. I think it'd be more it's, likely if you'd asked me beforehand that they get hand jobs at the Ritz Carlton that like there's a special person at the Ritz Carlton that like all that if you're rich enough, you know, like fucking it's available. Or you don't just have like a second home or something that like Chris Stops doesn't leave to get his hair cut. Someone comes to him. Mm-hmm. The hand job lady can't just come to your house. The masseuse can't just come to your house and handle that there. Like, I'm not kidding. That's a great point. No, I'm sure they can and they do. So is he just into it for the inner, the, the juice of the thrill? Yeah. That he's so close to a blooming onion yeah. that there's an outback. It's, it's, it's two doors down. I'm not kidding. It's right there. I mean, you know. Yeah. You just start getting worked up over that onion. Got to get the little pressure off. A little valve. I mean, I'm sure there are other ways of doing this. I'm sure he's probably exercised other ways of doing it, but there was just something about that that, that – Tickled his fancy, if you will, and there's not a parking garage where they could drive into, and then he could go to a private elevator. Yeah, there's 
Like you get out of the car and you walk in, walk in the door, right? You walk, yeah, but you also the parking lot is not right in front of the door. It's like most of these places are now. He had to cross the street, is what I'm saying. Yeah, he had to wait for traffic to go get a hand job, and he's worth billions of dollars. I just don't believe he would get a mas- massage there. Yeah, even that. I mean, clearly he was only going there because yeah, word yeah, got yeah. out. Yeah, yeah, but, but I'm just saying. As I was standing there taking pictures. That's not plausible. Like, if I saw Robert Kraft going in there, I'd be like, ah, must be a hand job place. No way true. he gets a massage there. That's true. He gets a $500 massage. But as I was walking well, in. What I want to know is, if he's doing it, who else is? Yeah. That's a great question. We kept hearing there was going to be another famous client, but I don't think we ever did. There was speculation it was Tiger. Because where Tiger got his DUI for pills and Orchids of Asia are five-minute walk apart. Then I would say there's 100% the chance he's been there. You would think. Um, you ever paid for sex, Mike? <laughs> Never have, TC. Me neither, but boy, Not if my wife ever gets hit by a car, it seems like an interesting ride. It seems pretty easy to pull off now, too, with the internet and such. And yeah, with I mean, of Asia. fucking government's trying to make it harder. I know. I, I thought know. these people were supposed to work for us. It's uh, It was they are. They're protecting you from it. Uh, I, I can handle my own. Yeah, I uh, it was the best way I could pay tribute to you. I also took a photo at Tiger's Bar where a waitress got uh, way too drunk and then killed someone on the way home. But I didn't really know a way to put it on social media and not look like I was <laughs> celebrating a death. Yeah. Uh, but Tiger's Bar, quite nice. No way. Woods Bar. Yeah. Well, you say no way, but it's not that far from Organs of Asia, and it's shit. I'm telling you. As I was walking uh, up and walking around, I looked so suspicious taking a photo and video. A lady walked out of the nail salon next door and goes, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> <laughs> and I told, them, I told TC the other day, the best I could come up with was, I'm here for the Super Bowl. <laughs> I totally panicked. Totally panicked. But... I got the job done. Yep, you did. You didn't let us down. We were counting on you. So, uh, well you played. Ever, you want to write a book? You ever thought about that? It's a lot of work. It is a lot of work. You could do it in like a series of essays. Yeah, I wouldn't know the first thing about it. If you were going to write Besides, a book. who'd want to read it? I'm uh, sure there's plenty. Of, I mean, you know, you could say that about like who would want to listen to the show, but like a lot of people did, man. Sell so that bad boy out of ticket stock in two minutes. Yeah. Do you think you'd be more inclined to like write a personal memoir or like uh, you know extended history of uh, Dennis Eckersley or something? <laughs> extended history of Dennis Eckersley, <laughs> probably the personal memoir. Yeah. Okay. I'm thinking. Yeah. But again, big world out there, man. Man, has uh, I, I, we're we're winding down here, and boy, this would be a terrible one to end on. But just you know, you're sitting here. Um, I was I was going through like a kind of like a mental inventory yesterday because I had the Iowa caucus going on. And I'm like, man, we're how how'd you get here, TC? And uh, that book, Lords of the Realm, has had more of an impact on the way I see the world than anything else I've read in my entire life. And you're the one that I believe was your copy I got through yeah. Dan. It just just opened in my eyes the ways in which people are just fucking us, man. <laughs> Like, just watching the way the owners fuck those players and, like, then extending that framework on to be like, boy, I bet someone's doing that to me. Oh, yeah. It is a metaphor for real life. Indeed it is. is. 
Well, my suggestion for your uh, your late career move is I just want as many Dallas sports history stories told that I either don't know or you didn't have time to tell before or you didn't have time to give them their proper due to. There's a guy doing a podcast now called Forgotten Mavs. Oh, really? I need you to listen to this. And he yes. Does, it's, I don't know who the guy is. I've seen it. He's been on Mavs Twitter for a long time. But Is it like the Secret Ranger? <laughs> it's, it's just like that. <laughs> But he does he does podcasts on, you know, little episodes or, or or quirky stories from the Mavs history that are you know pre, Dirk in particular, things from the eighties. And I'm like, man, this is there's a there's a market for this, and if it's you telling it, um, probably more than an extended history of Dennis Eckersley. <laughs> uh, that's just my editorializing because I know maybe I should redo the. Ranger birthdays thing I did a few years ago. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> All right, man. Well, we appreciate you coming over to do this. We look forward to what's next. Thank you, boys, for having me. Enjoyed it. That's it for tonight. The high school special is next. So until tomorrow, for everyone who's been a part of this one, I'm TC and Jake. We do thank you for watching. Good night.